Hey, just wanted to say welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. I'm lead pastor Noel Petegrass. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com. Thanks for giving us a listen. All right, this morning, uh, we're, we're taking a look at this passage in Matthew 7. And again, just remember, Sermon on the Mount, we're coming to the end of this Sermon on the Mount. This is the third and final chapter of the Sermon, of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. And at face value today, this passage, uh, it, it almost looks like uh, God is a genie in the bottle. You know, ask and you shall receive, Jesus says. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Uh, it's actually not a hard passage to understand. It's pretty simple and straightforward at face value. Uh, but the, the problem that I was wrestling with all week is that some of us have had an experience where we've asked, and maybe we've seeked, and or we've knocked, and it doesn't seem like we've received or been found or had the door open, you know? And, and maybe it's caused us to ask the question, like, how can God be this father who promises to give and yet seem so often not to give us the things that we ask for? Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I was honestly haunted a bit by this passage this week. Uh, I found myself uh, mustering the faith to exhort you as a church to ask, to seek, to knock. To have uh, faith for God to do uh, big things. And I don't know, maybe some of you are ready to go. And, and, and you can help us lead the charge. Um, and, and, you know, I, I love the testimony of faith that even, you know, we've heard shared this morning. Um, but I've got my own story, and I assume some of you do too, you know, of asking and not receiving, seeking and not finding, knocking and not having a door open to me, or at least so I've thought. At least that's how it feels sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And yet Jesus teaches us here to ask, to seek, and to knock. So uh, here's my goal this morning. Uh, My goal is to take us through this passage. And uh, by the end of it, have you all fired up to keep on asking, to continue seeking, and to knock again and again? Uh, I want... Exeter Valley Church to be a church that asks, seeks, and knocks. This is how we're going to be around here. I text Megan this week while I was studying. I was like, Exeter Valley Church, us, we're going to be a church that asks, that seeks, that knocks. We're going to be a big faith church. We're going to keep believing for the biggest things of God. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to exhort each other. We're going to testify when we've heard him answer so that we could all press on in faith. You know, it's like a decision. You know what I'm saying? And, and again, we've said this before, but sometimes you, uh, you form beliefs based on your experiences, and sometimes you, you make a decision to believe despite your experiences. And that's what we're doing here this morning. We're going to decide together to be an ask, seek, and knock church. So there's three points that I want to... Um, that I want to talk about together. Whoops, I went the wrong direction. Did I go the wrong direction? There we go. 
three points today that I want to um, that I want to get after together. Uh, the first uh, the first idea is our job is to persist. What we learn in this passage is that our job is to persist. That's uh, we see that in verse seven. The second main idea is that God gives. God is the giver. We see that in verse 8 through 11. He tells a cool story, paints a picture of a father and a son to illustrate this concept. And then the third idea is that we imitate. We imitate this really generous father that we have. And we see that in verse 12. So we persist. God invites us to pursue him. This is Jesus speaking. The Jesus who already told us in Matthew 6. Just a few weeks ago, he told us that he knows what we need before we ask him. And yet, he asks us to persist in asking, seeking, and knocking. Uh, there's an expert on prayer in the New Testament, one of the New Testament authors. His, name's was, his name was James. His name's was James. <laughs> it was funny how that came out. His name was James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, James, uh, legend has it, James was known as Old Camel Knees. And he was called Old Camel Knees, supposedly, because he, of the calluses that had developed on his knees from hours and hours spent in prayer. Like calcified bumps on his knees from praying. Now, I've got no way to independently verify if this is true or not, but it's safe to say, if you read the book of James, James knew a thing or two about prayer. In James 4, 2 through 3, this is what he says. He echoes the words of his half-brother Jesus. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James says, you don't have because you don't ask. James agrees with his half-brother Jesus. Listen, if you can get brothers to agree on anything, you've got something. And James and Jesus, they, they agree on this idea of asking in prayer. So even though God knows what we need, even better than we do, Jesus still teaches us to ask. See, there's this way that God has designed for us to engage in a divine partnership with him. This is one of the like, most difficult things for me to understand about God, right? Because God could do everything that he needs to do without me. You know, God was not sitting around at, at the creation of the world thinking, I need to create this man who can do some things that I cannot seem to do on my own. Like God didn't put this call in our heart to start a church in Exeter because he couldn't have done it all on his own. But for some reason, and in some way, God has chosen this divine partnership between himself and us. But, you know, sometimes I'm not really sure that we actually believe our prayers matter. Sometimes we act as if God has just, like, wound up this world and then stepped away and is just watching as it unfolds, right? But our prayers do matter. How do we know they matter? Because Jesus said they matter. Jesus said they matter. He said, ask. He said, seek. He said, knock. I don't know if you're like me, but this picture of persistence in asking sometimes feels a little bit selfish. I've sometimes thought that other types of prayer were more holy 
You know, like uh, prayers of praise, prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving, even prayers on behalf of others, right? Like intercession is what we call that. But it seems as if that's not what Jesus is saying here. Somehow asking isn't selfish. It's not more selfish than praise. It's not more selfish than intercession. It's not more selfish than prayers of thanksgiving. Asking, seeking, and knocking, it it seems to position us. It positions the prayer, the prayer, which I think is spelled the same as prayer. So that's kind of funny as well. English is funny. But asking, seeking, and knocking positions the prayer not as giver to some divine egomaniac God, but it positions us as receivers from a gentle father, from a generous father. He's not a divine egomaniac that just needs our praise and adoration and all that. In fact, he doesn't need that. Why do we do that? It's good for us. It's good for us to give him praise. It's good for us to put him up high. He doesn't need it. He's actually very generous. He's not just a receiver. He's actually a giver so that we can receive. When we ask, we can receive. This is what Jesus is telling us here in this passage Among human beings, asking, seeking, and knocking are considered rude, right? Anyone ever been annoyed with their children for their asking, for their seeking, for their knocking? Yeah. Sometimes we just answer quietly, isn't that? That's right. Yeah. But, But this is not the way that it is with God. It's not rude that we ask, that we seek, that we knock. I just had the picture of my kids coming to our bedroom door. We occasionally, I know, bad parents, we occasionally lock the bedroom door. Why? Because we need to be alone. Or mom needs to be alone. No kids allowed, right? And uh, like that knocking, it can get a little bit annoying sometimes. But God's not like that. This isn't the type of father that God is. He's not annoyed with our asking, with our seeking, with our knocking. He invites us to do it. It's not rude to him. It's part of the way that he wants to partner with us. Yesterday, we were, um, I was working on a, a video. We're making a video to help tell the story of um, just like the call of, of God uh, to see this church established. And uh, so um, I was working with some friends on a video project about our church. And I was, I, as I was participating in the video, uh, there's this part in our story where uh, we had heard God call and we had been sent to Exeter, and we had stepped out in faith in that way, but we hit a patch where things were taking longer than we thought that they should take, especially me. I was, was really impatient and thinking that things were taking longer than they should have taken, and it was causing a lot of doubt and discouragement to creep up. And I remember uh, asking Megan one night, like, Meg, do you really believe that like, God has spoken, and this is what we're supposed to be up to? And uh, Megan, whose faith was really strong at that point uh, and, and was not as discouraged as I was, being the more patient person, I suppose, she got frustrated with me that night and she told me, I believe that God has called us, but you got to believe. And you need to hear from God again. And you should give him no rest until you've heard from him again. Give the Lord no rest until you've heard from, uh, until you've heard from him again. And, 
in our story that like led to some real persistent prayer for me. And I, I did eventually hear from the Lord again. And he got more specific and he confirmed some things. And here we are. But give him no rest. This is a great picture of asking, seeking, and knocking. It reminded me of there's a story in Luke 18 about a persistent widow. You could go check it out. I'm not going to get deep into it. But basically in this story, there's like a judge and this persistent widow. And the judge says basically, okay, I'll do what you want, old lady. Sorry, I don't know. If she, Mary, you didn't have to laugh at that. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Anyway, uh, I'll do what you want because you've been so persistent. Just get off my back, right? Can you ever, if you've been a parent, you can relate. I'm sure if you've been a teacher, you could probably relate. So this, this is like a real story in Luke 18. This judge was like, yeah, if you keep, you've just been so persistent that, I'll, yeah, I'll get whatever you want here, you know? It's like uh, that phrase, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But this is what Jesus is commanding us. This is what he's teaching us in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask seek, knock. He could have said, just ask and ask very kindly and politely. No, that's not what he did. He said, ask. He said, seek. He says, knock. God invites us to partner in faith with his will by asking, seeking, and knocking for the things that we need. Are you tired yet of hearing me say asking, seeking, and knocking? That was supposed to be a joke. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Second point. I'm very aware of how often I'm saying those three words. Uh, Second point is that when we ask, God promises to give. Jesus said, when we ask, God gives. So our job is to ask, is to be persistent. Our job is to give him no rest. Our job is to be the squeaky wheel. It's his job to give us the grease. It's his job to answer and uh, guess what? God responds to us like a good father. And here we have a great picture. Verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? That'd be really mean. I've never done that as a father. I guess I'm not as bad as I thought. Verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? First point, we're evil. Did you hear it? We're evil. It's like sometimes the Bible says hard things so that we could have soft hearts. Right? And so up here, behind this pulpit, we're going to say hard things to promote soft hearts. Right? That's way better than me saying soft things and allowing us to continue on with hard hearts. We're evil. You're not a good person. Our secular world tells you, tells me, that I'm a good person, that I have a good heart, but it's not true. It's not what the Bible says about me. I'm evil. I'm dead in my transgression, an enemy of God, a sinner who deserves death. That's what the Bible says about me, sinful to the core. And that's what uh, Jesus says here in this passage. So um, here's the thing. If even you and me, who are sinful, by nature, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Father in Heaven, who's perfect, without sin. little contrast here. So the main part of the story is not that we're evil, but it's, it's definitely a part of the story and something that we got to understand. So in contrast to us who are evil, God is good. 
He's a good father. You know, um, I'm, I'm fully aware this morning that not all of us had good fathers. It might be hard to picture our Heavenly Father as good if you've not had a good father. But God is a good father. He's loving, He's generous, and He always has our best in mind. How much more will our good father give us what we ask for? There's, uh, there's, there's some difficult questions, though, that come up when we think about asking this good father for what we want, for what we need. And so one of the questions that was coming up for me this week was like, well, how do, we, how do I deal with the topic of unanswered prayer? How do I deal with this idea that it seems like sometimes, or maybe a lot of times, I pray, prayer, I pray prayers that don't seem to get answered. I got some ideas on how we can deal with these. I, th- I think the, the first way that we can consider or deal with these unanswered prayers or the idea of unanswered prayers is to have an eternal perspective, right? Like God's perspective, right? Our perspective is very temporal, very in the moment. We don't see his big story, right? He has the ability to see the end of the story that we don't yet see. Tim Keller says it this way. Tim Keller's a pastor of a church in New York and an author. Um, My wife's favorite human being right now, I think. Uh, Definitely her favorite pastor. Um, No, I'm joking. She likes listening to his sermons. I do too. He says this. Tim Keller says that everything that God allows to happen to us is what we would choose for ourselves in the end if only we knew what God knows. You don't know what's best for you. You don't know what's good for you. You don't see the whole story. God's seen the whole story. He knows what's best. He knows what's good. And uh, the next thing, God knows what we need. He knows what we really need. We think we know what we need, but God really knows what we need. In his goodness, he says no to some requests. Think about that. He says no to some of our requests out of his goodness. And he says yes to others, for sure. He, he, he's totally generous. He says yes to others, but he always knows what we need, right? Again, back to the uh, Lord's Prayer. He knows what we need before we even ask, and he gives us good gifts when we ask him. Question for you. Does a good parent always say yes? You know what I mean? Now listen, uh, if Max comes home and asks for broccoli, the answer is... Yes, you can have broccoli, Max, right? But, but if my son Gunner comes home and asks for ice cream, maybe sometimes yes, but sometimes the answer is going to be no, right? Especially if it's breakfast time. Then we're not doing ice cream for breakfast. We are, in our, we are a no ice cream for breakfast house. That's the kind of house that we are, a no ice cream for breakfast house. No, I'm joking, but, but you get what I'm saying. Like, if God said yes to our request, knowing that it would be bad for us, would he be good? If your child asked for heroin, would you say yes? Let's get really extreme, right? Ice cream's kind of a good thing. I know, I mixed the metaphor there. Right? No, you wouldn't say yes. You wouldn't give your child heroin, even though they asked for it. Because you, even though you're evil, you know that it's not good for your kid to give them heroin. You would never do that. It's terrible for them, right? How unloving would it be? To give your child heroin, even if they asked, sought, and knocked. Right? Another way to phrase it, 
would be kind of to work off this idea uh, in the passage here. If your child asks for a stone, would you give it to them? Now, Jesus says, if, you're, if your child asks for a piece of bread, would you, would you give them a stone instead? But what if they ask for a stone? Would you give it to them? Would that be loving? Would that fill their bellies? Would that lead to their health and well-being? So God's a good father. And because he's a good father, sometimes the answer is no. But here's the thing that I want to get our attention back to, is that God never withholds good things from us. The answer is never no, when it's a good thing that we're asking for. And remember, he invites us to ask. He wants us to ask. He wants to be asked. He's not an annoyed parent. That's not who our father is. Another question that comes up for me when I think about our good father and these good things that he's promised us is, um, like, what are the good things? What are the good things that we see referenced in this passage? Um, In Luke chapter 11, there's like a parallel account to the Sermon on the Mount. Luke tells the story of the Sermon on the Mount and, and Jesus' gospel just a little bit differently. And there's a lot of similarities and carryover. A lot of the same stuff is said. Uh, but there's like a few differences. I referenced this about Luke another time when we were like having trouble understanding uh, Jesus teaching to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, right? And if you can remember back, it was on the teaching about uh, loving your enemy. And uh, in that teaching, Jesus says, therefore, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, That's what he says in Matthew's version. But in the Gospel of Luke, he says, be merciful as your Father in Heaven is merciful. So Luke heard merciful. So anyway, I'm really starting to like this guy, Luke. Maybe we should have studied his gospel. Uh, But Luke says this in verse 13 of chapter 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, right? Same story that Jesus was, was, uh, was telling in the book of Matthew. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what are these good gifts? Well, Luke said, Luke thought he heard Holy Spirit. Here that the Holy Spirit was uh, the good gifts that Jesus was talking about. <clears throat> I was uh, reflecting on this question as I, as I noticed this point about what Luke had to say or what he heard. Uh, so here it is. Here's the question. Is it true in your experience that Jesus says yes to us every time we make a request that's spiritual? Like, have you ever made a spiritual request? Like, I know you may have not gotten the Ferrari that you asked for. Right? But have you ever said, Lord, like, created me a clean heart? And he then didn't answer. It changed the way that I was thinking about it. If the good gifts are spiritual gifts, I think we might all be able to see a little bit more easily that God answers yes every time when we ask for good gifts. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis and I think I'm going to make it a goal of my preaching career to put a C.S. Lewis quote in every sermon because he's just like the most quotable human being of all time and it, it makes me feel really smart. So uh, anyway, I jest, but this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
Our idea of the good things, a little different than God's idea of the good things. He always says yes to the good things. He always says yes to the good things. But we are so often far too easily pleased. I love the way that he says that. You know, we're, we're half-hearted creatures, aren't we? We don't have enough faith. We don't come boldly enough. It's not that God isn't ready, willing, and able to give us the good things. It's that we don't truly want them. We're content playing with mud pies in a slum when holiday at sea is what's offered to us. Are you half-hearted? Fooling about with life's fleeting pleasures when God, our generous Father, has offered you every good thing, every good thing you ask for in prayer. You have the whole menu. You have everything on the menu. Have you ever been to a restaurant and uh, had a meal only to find that somebody else in the restaurant paid for it? I don't know if you've ever had that happen. Being, I, I don't know, I, I guess I've been a teacher or a coach or in, in ministry in some ways, and so people feel sorry for you and they, they, uh, they want to bless you <laughs> by, uh, by buying you a meal now and again. And uh, sometimes when that's happened to me, I think to myself, ah, oh, I should have ordered the filet mignon, you know? I got the dang chicken cordon bleu instead. But Jesus offers the entire menu and he's going to pay. So quit ordering the dang filet mignon. That's the moral of the story. Or no, quit ordering the dang chicken cordon bleu. Order up, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Go big. Go big. He's paying the price. He's going to pay the bill. Yeah, that's right, Mary. He did pay the price. What are the good things Jesus is talking about in this passage? He says yes every time to the good things that we ask him for. I want to take us next uh, to uh, the story of Jesus in the garden. Uh, Matthew 26, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. I think that's how you say it. If I got it wrong, I just say it confidently and hope you won't notice. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane uh, uh, about to die. And he went uh, by himself to pray. He was about to be given over by the betrayer, Judas, to the Roman soldiers. Anyway, Jesus is really realizing that the time is near. And uh, it says in verse 39, Going a little further, he fell. Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Notice the uh, persistence with which Jesus prayed. My father... If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus asked for that cup to be taken, didn't he? Jesus came persistently before the Father. He fell to his knees on his face and he said, God, if there's another way to do this, where I don't have to go through this pain and this agony and this betrayal, would you do it? If there's another way, would you do it? I really, I want to focus on that first part because I think sometimes in doubt, we focus on the second part as Christians. The second part is, yet not as I will, but as you will. Have you ever been in a, in a room with a person who's sick, with a, with a group of Christians praying, Lord, heal this person, if it's your will? I think that's a totally biblical prayer. But could we focus for a minute on the first part? Jesus said, take this cup from me. He did not want to go through it. He wanted a way out. 
and he went to his father. Jesus knew the will of the father perfectly, right? He knew the will of the father perfectly, and yet he asked, if there's another way, God, if there's another way, Father in heaven, please take this cup. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Well, did God take the cup of suffering? Thank heavens, no, right? Thank heavens, that was like a, something my grandmother would have said. No, he didn't take the cup of suffering. He led him to the cross like a sheep to his slaughter. He heaped on him the sins of the world. Why? Why? Why did the Father do that? Why did the Father say no to Jesus' prayer in that moment? A couple reasons why, I think. Number one, because this is what brought the Father glory. This plan... Though it involved Jesus' death and suffering, it brought the Father glory. And I already told you earlier, like, the Father's not an egomaniac, so what's up with the glory? Like, why, why is the glory? Why is the Father's glory so important? Why did Jesus have to die so the Father could be glorified? That sounds cruel. But God's will was, uh, was good. It was good for Jesus. See, God's glory is what's ultimately best for us. God's glory is good for us. And the Father knew that in that moment. So he let him go through it. There's, a, there's something called a statement of faith called the, uh, the Westminster Catechism. Have you heard? Catechism is like, some, it's like a course of study in Catholic churches, but it's also like a way that they refer to these old statements of faith that the uh, church leaders have uh, like agreed to over time. Anyway, in one of them... Uh, there's, a, there's a question. The question is, what is man's chief end? And you, I don't know if anyone knows the answer to this, but it says in that catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what we're here for, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. In fact, uh, John Piper, uh, I'm going off the cuff right now, but John Piper's ministry, Desiring God, John Piper, author, pastor, is... Um, is uh, his belief is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And Jesus knew this, and he was willing to go to the cross, even though it's not what he really wanted to do, and who could blame him. The other reason why Jesus had to go to the cross, the other reason why God the Father said no to Jesus' request is because he had another plan in mind, didn't he? The story of Jesus doesn't end on the cross. It may have felt like that to the onlookers that day. It not may have felt like that. I'm certain it felt like that to the onlookers that day. I'm certain it felt miserable, horrible, discouraging for Jesus. But God had a, a different plan. That wasn't the end of God's story. There's a resurrection plan that God had in mind. God had something better for Jesus, and so he said no. To his request. He had resurrection in mind. And isn't that a cool story? The resurrection story? Like four weeks from now, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus like crazy. What is better than the dead being brought back to life? So God's story was better. And that's why he put Jesus through the cross. God gives us good things every time we ask for him. He never says no. He never says no. <clears throat> so our response, verse 12, 
our response is to imitate Jesus, to imitate this good, generous, heavenly Father that we have. Matthew 7, 12 uh, is probably one of the most well-known teachings in the Bible. It is, uh, it is not just well-known in the Bible. It's, uh, it's a teaching that's like prominent in like other faiths or like wisdom cultures. Um, so much so that I, I've even at times like had to check myself. Wait a minute. Is that a Bible passage? Okay, yeah, it's a Bible passage. So it says in Matthew 7, 12, Jesus ends this teaching by saying, So, in everything, so because of what I've just taught, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So here's the principle. Jesus says to a people, mind you, who are overwhelmed by knowing and keeping the law. This law that he referred to as being summed up in this golden rule, man, they thought that was really important. And they spent a lot of time and energy trying to follow and keep up and memorize this law. So this was the culture that was prevalent, right? And so he says to these people, you don't have to memorize every law in the Torah in order to love your brother well. You don't have to be an expert. It's not necessary for you to be a good kingdom citizen. All you've got to do is do to your brother what you would have done to you. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. This principle is genius. It's a genius principle that Jesus shares. And also, what I love about Jesus teaching this principle, I think in a sense what Jesus is saying is like, you've heard other teachers say this, and they're stealing from me. Because all truth is God's truth. If it's true, God's the creator of it. And this, uh, this little phrase, I think, teaches us that. But, so what he's saying is that all you have to do is ask yourself, how would I want to be treated, and then treat your brother or sister that way? So how can you be a good friend? How can you be a good kingdom citizen? How can you be a good husband or a good wife? How can you love your enemy? How can you bury anger instead of carrying anger? All you have to do is ask the question, how would I want to be treated in this situation? What would I want my brother to do to me? Imagine, these people, like the first five books of the Old Testament are called the Torah, right? Jesus referred to them when he said the law. They would like commit these to memory to try and like obey all these rules and regulations because they knew that that was important and that's what they'd been called to. And he says that's all summed up in this one principle. That would have like really lightened their load, don't you think? <laughs> really lightened their load. And the, the principle like it's, it's really cool because it's, it's highly flexible. You could apply it to a bunch of different types of situations. Like for example, you've got a friend who needs financial help. Do unto your brother as you would have them do unto you. <clears throat> uh, maybe your wife, husbands, maybe your wife is overwhelmed with housework. Do unto her as you would have her do unto you. Your child accidentally spills milk at the dinner table. Do you yell and get all upset like I do? Or do you do unto them as you would have them do unto you? I had to, I had to list some personal ones. I'm going to need to do some dishes this afternoon. I know it. <clears throat> The principle is also totally complete. It sums up the law and the prophets. When Jesus talks like that, the law refers to the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. The prophets refers to what's called the Nevi'im. I think I'm pronouncing that somewhat close. The Nevi'im is like the second um, chunk of scripture in the Hebrew Bible. 
Did you know that the Hebrew Bible was ordered differently than our Bibles are ordered? So the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, it came in a different order. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's referring to this like huge chunk of the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament. He's saying all of that. And did you know that makes up the Old Testament makes up two thirds of your Bible? You, if you ever do a yearly Bible reading plan, you have to be, like you get stuck in the Old Testament till like October. And then you spend the rest of the year in, in the New Testament, you know. Um, all of that is summed up with this one simple rule. It's totally complete. It sums up the entire Hebrew Bible. <clears throat> it's pretty cool. You don't have to be a rabbi in order to know that, right? You don't have to be a rabbi in order to know how to conduct yourself as a kingdom citizen. All you have to do is ask, how would my neighbor want to be treated? So how does this principle relate to the prayer that Jesus just taught? How does this relate to ask, seek, knock. I found myself asking that question this week. Also, like, it, it, it seems to fit weird because the next verses, 13 through 27, those verses in this passage are all about, like, warnings and, and calls for discernment. So how does this uh, passage fit? Um, some people, this would be one view, some people have, think that this is a standalone idea or thought. Um, some actually treat all of Matthew 7 this way, that it's just a bunch of individual teachings that don't really like, fit together with the rest of the sermon. Okay, That's one way to look at it. Uh, my preference, though, you've heard me talk about this before, is to try as hard as we can to come to each small spot in Scripture and ask, how does this fit into the larger context? Whether it be you know, in this sermon in particular or in the larger story of Jesus. <clears throat> Also, you may, um, you may find it interesting to know that um, this same verse appears in Luke's gospel uh, in a different spot, not, not in the same uh, context. So what's the context for this golden rule, and why is it attached to this teaching on prayer? <clears throat> All right, I think a couple things that... Uh, we need to understand in order to see this context uh, properly and, and, and get to the real heart of what Jesus is trying to do. So first thing I think Jesus wants to do and why he includes this here is that he's wanting to summarize his sermon. You know, he's, he's coming around the corner, he's getting down the home stretch, and he's summarizing his sermon. This is a really good phrase to summarize the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Uh, if you're angry at your brother, it's like committing murder. Love your enemy. These are the things that Jesus has been saying for the bulk of this sermon. This is a great summary statement of Jesus' sermon. Not only is it a great summary statement of the Hebrew Bible, it's a great summary statement of the sermon that Jesus preached. Good kingdom citizenry can be summarized by simply doing to others what you would have them do unto you. So simple. I love it. The second thing I think Jesus is doing by putting this teaching right here is he's wanting us to connect our conduct to the conduct of our God. He's wanting us to see the Father's conduct and way of relating to us. He's wanting us to see the goodness of the Father. He's wanting us to see the generosity of the Father. And he's wanting us to relate to our brother and sister the same way that our Heavenly Father relates to us. See, our Heavenly Father is like the perfect model for how to relate to one another. And so we need to imitate him. And one of the ways that we can do that really simply is by doing to others what we would have them do to us. We have a generous father. 
Therefore, we want to be generous disciples in relationship to one another. All right. My time's up. I don't even know what time it is. But I had planned on saying my time was up, so I'm going to say it. Here's a question I want to leave before you as we come to the table this morning. How do you see God? How do you see God? The God you see is the Christian you'll be. How do you see your Heavenly Father? Do you see Him as a good Father, eager to give you everything you truly need? Do you really see Him that way? Are you able to go to Him in faith and present your requests? Or have you lost faith and stopped praying? Let's raise our voices. Let's open our hearts. Let's come to the table in faith this morning before our Heavenly Father who promises that whoever asks will receive, whoever seeks will find, and whoever knocks, the door will be open to. He's a good Father. Let's be a people of faith who go to Him for the things that we need. Let us be at Exeter Valley Church an ask, seek, and knock church with big faith for God to do big things. Let's pray. And then we'll sing, and you can come to the table to remember what Jesus did for us. <clears throat> God, I thank you that you have patience with us. Thank you that you've had patience with me. And in the wondering, Lord, in our doubts, you've, uh, you've sat by and waited for us. And not only have you waited, but you've said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I thank you for the way that you've invited us on mission with you. Not because you need us, but because we need you. God, I pray that your name would be made famous through our lives. I pray that we would come to find enjoyment in you and your good things, God. That we would not be half-hearted creatures, Lord. That we would pray big prayers with big faith for you to move. In your son's name we pray, amen.